If you have a Bible open, it would be great to keep it open uh, as we work our way through this passage together. Uh, Some of the key verses I'll put up on the screen behind us. But let me pray as we get into this. Uh, Dear Lord, as we come to your word now, I pray that you might speak to each of us where we're at, that we might see your glory and the glory of your Son and the glory of the cross. Amen. What do you think of... Uh, when you hear the word glory? What are some of the events that jump to your mind? So uh, hold that thought for a second. I want you to turn to the person next to you or somewhere nearby and just go, you know, gut reaction. What does glory mean to you? Go. Okay, that's it. Time's up. It's It's a very finite amount of time. Like I said, gut reaction, not too much thinking. But, okay, let, let me hear a few people from the floor, if you're willing. Don't, don't leave me hanging up here. But uh, what are some things that came to mind when you thought glory? The colour gold. The colour gold. Yeah. So, yep, Pat. Yep, yep. Yeah, nice on the end there. Yeah, well done. I'm at church. I'm pretty sure that's one of the answers. Yeah. So, yep. Okay, exaltation. Yeah, wow, I'm getting smart in the corner. Uh, here's a few that, that came to my mind. Uh, so, so we've got uh, on the screen, yeah, here we go. Yeah, so some people are happy, look at that. Hey, can anyone tell me the year? 2010, <laughs> a while ago. Uh, but I, I think generally speaking, better than Parramatta, uh, generally speaking, you know, sporting events, you know, sort of have an image of glory. Certainly this guy uh, knows how to do glory well. Uh, Hussein Bolt, you know, fastest man, you know, ever, uh, which is, you know, pretty impressive. Uh, Perhaps if you're into music, uh, something like this, so this is a bit for the older generation, you know, U2 and Bono, uh, for the younger folk, perhaps, uh, Ed Sheeran. Uh, I mean, that's just an inconceivable picture, isn't it? You know, with, you know, thousands upon thousands of people coming to see this, really, one man. Uh, that's a, pr- a pretty good picture of glory. Uh, or perhaps this one. Uh, it's a glory moment uh, for Neil Armstrong, absolutely. Uh, there were three people in that lunar module. I-, I reckon you could probably get two. Who knows about the third bloke? Uh, but, but we know Neil Armstrong. But I, I suspect it- it's also a picture of glory for humanity. Uh, this is what we can achieve. This is what we can achieve together. Well, this evening, we're going to be talking about glory, but in the context of death. And for me, those two don't fit comfortably together. Certainly, death and honour go together. And last week, as part of Anzac Day, uh, we remembered the sacrifice that so many made and we we honoured them uh, for their sacrifice. But I think for the most part, we associate glory with winning, And we certainly don't see death as a win. But as Jesus prepares to go to the cross, uh, that's exactly what we see in this passage tonight. So for those who like to know where we're going in terms of, you know, like to be organised in your head, we're going to look at three headings. Uh, The King has come, uh, the hour has come, and finally, Jesus calls people to believe. And really, in a lot of these sermons, as we've worked our way through the book of John, that theme of believing has come up again and again, because John has written this book so that people might believe that Jesus really is the Son of God. 
And so our passage begins with this chaotic, exuberant celebration. So thousands of people are already converging on Jerusalem for the Passover. And in amongst them, we have Jesus. Uh, And plenty of people are keen to to come out and see Jesus because he's got a reputation and his, his reputation is that much grander for what's just happened with raising Lazarus from the dead. So the people who are there have gone and told other people and so everyone is interested in Jesus. He clearly has power and influence and as he comes to Jerusalem, they are expecting big things. And so some of the crowd are shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And Jesus comes on the colt of a donkey, which is a very practical way to come in, but more significantly, he comes fulfilling the words of the prophet Zechariah from the Old Testament. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. You know, in the moment, the disciples don't see the significance of the donkey. You know, Zechariah 9.9 isn't the first thing that comes to their mind. But hindsight is a beautiful thing, and they they recognise in hindsight just how significant this moment is, that this is God fulfilling his plans for his Messiah. But from the Pharisees' perspective, so they're the sort of religious establishment of the day, uh, things here are just going from bad to worse. You know, people keep talking about Jesus and how Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. And the crowd are now coming out and declaring that he's king. And they're already afraid of how the Romans are going to react to this because this all has the you know, appearance of a political coup. And so they're fearful of how the Romans will respond. So a little bit earlier uh, from a conversation, uh, the Pharisees were talking like this. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. And now they're completely despairing. See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And their fears are kind of well-founded. So immediately after, John goes on to recall these Greeks who come to see Jesus. And the significance isn't in why they came. In fact, there's absolutely no detail in the passage at all. It kind of feels like a bit of a a pointless story. It just sort of starts and stops and that's the end of it. But the whole point is that they represent the whole world coming. You know, these God-fearing Greeks are coming to Jerusalem, they're coming to the Passover, but they're no longer coming to the priests and the Pharisees. They're coming to Jesus. And so this really is the mouse that sank the boat, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back, the last straw. You know, they've wanted to kill Jesus ever since he healed a blind man on the Sabbath and now they're finally beginning to muster the courage to actually do it. And Jesus recognises the moment. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. You know, all the way through this book of John, there's this theme of the hour coming. And as we work our way through the book, it actually takes on quite an ominous tone because that hour is going to be connected to him being killed and crucified. And now that hour has come where the Son of Man will be glorified. Uh, Son of Man is one of those expressions uh, that works on a whole bunch of levels and it's sort of grounded in the book of Daniel uh, where the Son of Man is the one who is given authority and power by by the Father but it also acknowledges his humanity. Uh, He is going to be lifted up 
in our place as the perfect like-for-like substitute, a human for human to pay the price for our sin. And it's glorious because of what it's going to achieve. Now, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So his death will deal with the inescapable problem of sin, but it also is going to have a multiplying effect. Through his death, many more will live. You know, literally thousands upon thousands upon millions and probably billions across all of history. And so what looks like shame and failure is actually going to be a moment of victory and glory. And so there's glory in the what is achieved, uh, but there's also glory in how it's going to be achieved uh, as he comes willing to submit to his father. So a few verses later, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Yeah, even when we're completely convinced of the right thing to do, uh, it's not always easy to actually follow through and do it. You know, if I saw someone harassed on a train uh, late at night uh, and I'm there by myself, I know that the right thing to do is to place myself, you know, in the middle of that situation, do everything in my power to protect that person. Uh, I also know, at least I'm very confident, that it's going to end with me being completely beaten up. Unless they do sort of a left arm arm wrestle, I might be in with a sporting chance. But all in all, this is not going to end well for me. Uh, And that's, you know, it's... I appreciate the parallel between, you know, my weakness and and what Christ is doing here is, is woefully mismatched. But we do get a sense of just how painful this whole situation is as he looks to the events of the cross, as he feels the weight of what's to come. You know, he knows, Jesus knows that this is going to end in victory. Uh, But the road to victory is going to be excruciating, Uh, not just physically, but also relationally. Uh, That the perfect God, you know, three in one, Father, Son and Spirit, who have been perfectly united for eternity, uh, that relationship will be marred because of our sin. And so he prays with a sense of determination, Father, glorify your name. And so the Father will be glorified as Jesus stays the course. And he is glorified in what will be achieved at the cross. I think in human terms, uh, family, glory and honour is not always a good thing. We can, a good thing. We can do all sorts of evil things in the name of family. And culturally, we don't tend to think of how our behaviour is going to impact or reflect on our family. You know, we kind of go, well, it's my life and, and, and I'll you know, do things how I want. And whatever impact that has on everyone else, well, you know, that's up to them. Uh, we certainly don't feel a sense of duty about putting family before, say, our own comfort and happiness. Uh, but at the cross, uh, we see in the way God relates something completely different. Even glory is about what it will achieve for the sake of the other. So the Father sent the Son for the good of humanity. The Son glorifies the Father by submitting to his will and the Son is glorified as he achieves 
everything that his father has sent him to do. So he will bring life. But in his death, he will also bring judgment. So verse 31, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. So in the coming days, uh, the people will judge Jesus and he will be crucified. Uh, But in reality, they are bringing judgment on themselves. Uh, The father has sent his son into the world to save the world and instead of embracing that salvation, instead of seeing it and accepting and believing, uh, the world is going to kill him. And so we testify against ourselves in how we react. But the cross will also drive out the prince of this world. And to be clear, uh, John here and Jesus here is talking about Satan. And I suspect for some of us, talking about Satan is a little uncomfortable. Uh, We don't mind talking about God and God being personal and God being active. Uh, We certainly recognise that the world is a terribly broken place, that there is evil in the world. But there's just something about Satan that makes us particularly uncomfortable. Uh, Maybe it's just a bit boogeyman. But the Bible shows us that Satan's role in the world is to keep us separated from the God who created us. Now, we can't blame Satan for our sin. Can't say, the devil made me do it. But Satan certainly wants to keep us in the muck and the mire. He wants to stir our feelings of self-doubt and self-loathing. He wants to play on our fears and our insecurities. He wants to leave us sort of wallowing in the muck and the mire. Uh, Or perhaps he's just as happy keeping us comfortable in the muck and the mire. Just keep it at a nice, warm, comfortable temperature. Uh, Whatever it is, uh, he wants us to be content in our sin. Or he certainly doesn't want to let let our sin go. And his hope for us, his goal for us, is that we just simply stay in our sin until the end, until we die, and then whatever is, 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 and it becomes permanent. You know, the problem of sin has always been with humanity. You know, right from, you know, the earliest, earliest days of Adam and Eve. Uh, But there's never been a permanent solution. Uh, God has never brought everything... Uh, into a single solution for all people. Certainly there was the sacrificial system uh, that an animal would be a a symbolic substitute uh, for the sins of the people, but that's not a like-for-like substitute. And that was for one nation, it certainly wasn't for all nations. You know, if sin is like a crime, then a crime's been committed, mercy has been shown, but they haven't, God hasn't really dealt with the issue of justice. You know, up until now. Because all of that will change at the cross, where sin will genuinely be paid for, not just for one nation, but for all nations. And Jesus will draw people from all nations to himself. And and we see that, don't we? We're here tonight, you know, on the other side of the planet, uh, because God is working through people uh, to bring people to himself. Uh, That it's had a ripple effect right through the world. Of course, it doesn't change the reality that we still die, does it? But it does change how death impacts us. So in the words of Jesus from last week, the one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And so what looks like a win for Satan at the cross is actually a moment of him being driven out. Uh, He can still do enormous damage. He is still the gatekeeper of hell. 
But through the events of the cross, the real power of sin and death is taken away. And so at the cross, the Son is glorified and the Father is glorified through the Son. Uh, But for the people hearing all of this, right, and you can imagine if I was saying the same things out there in, you know, the square this week, uh, this is hard stuff to believe. And for them, it's hard to reconcile. You know, they like the idea of Jesus being king, but the Son of Man that Jesus is talking about doesn't really fit their expectations. Uh, For starters, they're expecting a Messiah who's going to come and stay with them forever, but Jesus is talking about being lifted up and dying. And the short version of what Jesus says in reply is verse 36. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of the light. You know, Jesus might not be what they are expecting, uh, but he is the one that they've been waiting for and he is the one that they need. They need to recognise that he is the light. And light's good, isn't it? You know, when you think about light, it almost always has positive associations. You know, light reveals beauty, light shows us the way, light takes away fear. You know, think of that, that little park, you know, with the creaky swing. You know, in the middle of the night, you know, Okay, freaky place, right? In the middle of the same park, right? Same creaky swing, middle of the day, completely different experience. And, and that's the association that we have here. That in the light, there is safety and security. That's what Jesus achieves for us on the cross and what he's offering uh, for those who are committed to believing. And the heart of believing is following. So to pick up the words of Jesus from earlier in our passage... Uh, Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. So when Jesus talks about life, he almost always talks about it in the positive, Uh, but here it's in the negative. Uh, If we love this life, as if this life is all we've got and it's all mine, then in the present, we are lost. In the language of this passage, we are wandering in darkness. Uh, We are so desperately looking for satisfaction and meaning and purpose, but we can't find it. Which is kind of ironic. We live in a culture that's all about affirmation. It's all about, there's a thousand roads, you choose any road and Every road will be satisfying. That's kind of the promise we get. You choose and it will be a winner. But of course, the reality of life just doesn't live up to that expectation. Uh, And Jesus is saying, when you live in the light, I give you life. Uh, But even more significantly, uh, if we don't recognise the light now, we're not just lost in the present, uh, but we are lost in terms of our eternal future. Now, if we don't like talking about Satan, uh, then we really don't like talking about hell. Uh, It is just so inconceivably bad that we think, how could that possibly be real? And for some, that's a real stumbling block. I I just can't believe in God because I can't believe in hell. Uh, And at this point, we do have to sort of take on a a posture of humility, don't we? That, That God is the one who's in control. Uh, and that in, in part of his plan for his universe, for his creation, he has included hell. And so if we believe the Bible when it talks about Jesus, uh, we have to believe the Bible when it talks about Satan, and we have to believe the Bible when it talks about 
hell. You know, love is a much better motivator than fear. Uh, But if we're not motivated by a love for God and a desire for heaven, then at least start with a fear of hell. Because a fear of hell will reach us to the point of realising that our sin is actually really significant. And that brings us to the point of recognising just what Christ has done for us on the cross. And we start to see that, we start to see how God loves us and our prayer is that that will then stir a love for Him and God willing that then we'll then see and believe and follow. You know, this week our Prime Minister was in the news uh, for speaking at the Australian Christian Churches Conference. And it's interesting that the footage was first distributed by the Australian Humanist Society. And I assume their motivation, I don't know it, but I assume their motivation was to foster a groundswell ridicule of the Prime Minister specifically and Christians generally. You know, showing it up and saying, how could anyone take this man seriously or how could he believe these things? Including when he talked about evil and hell and sin and the devil. How could any rational person believe in this stuff? Uh, But for us as Christians, it really does come down to Jesus. Uh, Do we believe his claim to be the light of the world? Do we believe that Jesus really raised a man from the dead or any of the other miracles uh, that we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John? Uh, Most significantly though is, do we see the glory of the cross? Sin paid for, death defeated, so that we might have life. Uh, And if we do then we will serve the one we follow. And we'll take pleasure knowing uh, that when all is done, uh, that we will be honoured by the Father. Uh, to pick up the words of Jesus elsewhere, we look forward to those day, to the day when we hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen.